again. Are you as excited to be here today as I am? <laughs> Dick's laughing. <laughs> I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. I am. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord. Anytime I have an opportunity to speak about the Lord, I love it. And I hope you guys are that way too. If you'll notice, this the uh, uh, title of the sermon, Old Time Religion. Well, that's because as I was sitting down to consider what I was going to call this sermon, I realized that this song just kept going through my mind over and over and over again. And in fact, last week I was actually pushing on Bud a little bit. It's like, maybe we should sing that before I actually stand up, because it's such a good old spiritual. But the reason it was going through my head is what's important. You see, it's old-time religion because that's what we have. Those, that have, uh, those of us that have the Lord have an old-time religion. We have a religion that goes back several thousand years. We have a God who existed forever. Can you wrap your mind around that concept? Forever. And he'll be or exist forever. So it really is an old-time religion. And God has not changed throughout all of that. Do you realize that? I hear people talk about the Old Testament like it's something foreign. We live under this new covenant, and God is love, but somehow God wasn't love in the Old Testament. Yes, he was. He hasn't changed. Everything that he was and is in the Old Testament, he was and he is today. It is the same God. So a couple weeks ago, Jared asked me to to come and preach. He didn't tell me he wasn't going to be here, by the way. Um, <laughs> maybe that was deliberate too. Uh, but anyway, Jared came and he asked me to preach. And the reason was is because our family, uh, my wife and I, and probably Christopher, are going to be moving away in a matter of just a few weeks on mission with the North American Mission Board. And so, you see, our life is changing rather dramatically, rather quickly here. And so Jared wanted me to let the congregation know what was going on with us. But you know, I can't let you know what's going on with us without telling you about my God. Because God is the one that drives everything. So my goals this morning are kind of twofold. First off, I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on with us. But hopefully, that's not going to be the main thing. The main thing is going to be what God is doing and working through us. So I want you to see God a little bit more clearly this morning. So before I jump into that, let's just bow our heads for just a moment. Father, I do thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, I do again. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are unchanging, that you are the immutable God. Lord, I thank you that you're all-knowing. And, Lord, that no matter what we think or no matter what we do, Lord, you're always there. Father, I just ask this morning that as we open your word and as I relate what's going on in our lives, that, Lord, people would see you a little bit more clearly. Father, that we draw a little bit closer to you. And, Lord, I pray most of all that no matter what I say, that the words would be forgotten and I would be hidden behind your cross. And that, Lord, your son would be seen perfectly clearly. Father, I ask all these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Okay, so we got this two-fold thing going on this morning. With the most important one being focusing on God. And as we look at that, I want to tell you right in the front. You know, God has always been on mission. We think about missions. Well, where's missions come from? People say, oh, gee, we got the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, it's a New Testament thing. No, it's not. It's an Old Testament thing. It dates way back. It was part of God's original plan. Today, if you asked me about missions, I'd probably quote Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I like that great commission because it's simple. I think about Matthew 28, and there seems to be a lot of pieces. And for my simple mind, sometimes that's a little bit much. But here, Jesus is just saying, go and tell. To who? The whole creation. Well, who's the whole creation? Do I go and tell, you know, the neighbor's dog? 
No, the whole creation, everybody, everywhere, every ethnicity, every race, if you will, every color, every creed, everyone. We are to tell everyone as we go who Christ is. That's an amazing, awesome responsibility if you think about it. But as Christians, that's our responsibility. As we open the word today and we look, we're going to actually be moving back to Psalm 67. And I'm going to talk about missions from Psalm 67, believe it or not. To make my point this morning that God is unchanging. Before I do that, though, I'd like to tell you a little bit about what's happened happening to us. And I'm going to do it through the use of some scripture. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You see, it doesn't matter what we plan to do. The plans of God are what's going to stand. Several years ago, nine years ago, in fact, um, a group of men got together with me. We decided it would be a really good idea to start a company. We were going to take the world by storm. So we started a company. You know what happened just a few years after that to the economy? That was not the world's best time to start a company. But you know, again, the Lord had a plan. That company is still there, by the way. That company is continuing. God is continuing to bless, but he's changed our mission. So, you see, God's plan will not be thwarted. In James 4, 13 through 16, it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year and there trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord lives, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Such boasting is evil. Did you get that? We plan and we say what we're going to do, and we don't pay attention to what the Lord would have us do. We need to make the Lord the very first priority in anything that we plan, anything that we say, anything that we do. That's paramount. But James is so clear because it not only says we plan, but it says we don't even know if we're going to live. You know, the Lord doesn't guarantee us the rest of today. I might not make it down these steps. That's where we're at. We need to serve the Lord. We need to work out his purposes, if you will, in our lives. You see, our purpose is to glorify and serve the Lord. Success, true success, comes from serving him. John 9.31 says, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone worships him and does his will, God listens to him. We need to be in the will of God in all that we do. And you see, for us, this has been an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing battle, as I'm sure it is for everyone. But God changed our lives, and he will change your life, by the way. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, he will change you. Three years ago, a little bit more actually, I was praying for an opportunity to serve. And I came to church. It was, I believe it was a Wednesday night, in fact. And I was talking to Jared, and I said, Jared, I would really like to have a retirement community that I could go preach at because I want to do something different. And Jared said, oh, by the way, yesterday, Carillon had just opened, and they had an open house, and they're looking for somebody. I called over there and said, gee, I'd like to come over. I'd like to start preaching on Sundays. We set up a time. That was the beginning of the Carillon ministry. My family came with me. 
all, we all greeted the people, and we started with two people in that ministry. Last Sunday, when I preached there, including those of us that were supporting the ministry, there was 25 people there in three years. Now, when I started that, I had no clue. But you can see, if we make ourselves available and we listen, the Lord will work. Last year, not being content, any of you that knows me and knows that I'm not the most content, even-tempered, you know, calm guy. Not being content, I was praying to the Lord, Lord, give me something new. I would really like to do something new, something exciting. I want to preach somewhere else. Through a whole series of nothing less than miraculous events that came from God, I was asked by a pastor that I had met and had no, he had no knowledge of me in less than five minutes of talking to him if I would preach at his church. Believe that or not, in North Raleigh, King's Kingdom Church. Well, I said yes. And then I said, well, I don't really know if that was a good idea. Because there's two things. If a guy only meets you for five minutes and he says, would you preach in my church? One is he's being led by the Holy Spirit. Or the second one is there's something seriously wrong. And I was leaning towards the second one, if you will. And I came and I came back to our Sunday school class and I talked to the guys because I know the guys. And I said, this is what's happening. And Emory York said to me, this is an appointment from God. And I went and I preached. And when we walked in the doors of that church, we had never been in the church. We had no idea what they believed. We had no idea what their service looked like or what was going to happen. And the Lord blessed us greatly. But boy, was I scared of that one. Because <laughs> I had no idea. We didn't know what was going on, but we were open to follow the Lord. We got in and we found out very quickly. It was an African church, and I don't mean African-American. Some of the guys were actually speaking Swahili. African church. One of the most loving congregations and friendly congregations I've met in the area. But it's amazing how God just picked me up and I said, there you go. You want something else to do? You ask for it, here you go. Be careful what you ask for, guys. So more recently, I contacted NAM. I was looking at their website, and NAM has got this really cool thing, North American Mission Board, right? And you look at their website, and they got this thing, Iron Men. Iron man of God. Be an iron man of God. And I said, yes, that's for me. I can be an iron man. Well, what's that mean? What it means is you're bivocational. So you, you work sometimes and you preach sometimes. You know, kind of like Paul. And I'm saying, yeah, that's me. I'm like Paul. You know, I'm going to go be a bivocational pastor. And so I contact Nam, and I get a hold of a secretary. And the secretary says, we're sorry, there's no money available. And I said, wait a minute, I'm not asking for money. I want to preach. Well, we're sorry. Those grants aren't available anymore. And I'm going, whoa, what is this about? I don't understand. I got frustrated, and I left and went away, quit corresponding with her. And I'm thinking, man, that's really weird. I wonder how they get anybody to sign up. So I kept praying about that. I said, yes, I want to be a bivocational pastor. So then I decided, well, I'll start sending out resumes, because that's the way to do it, right? Write my resume, send it off to this church. Write my resume, send it off to this church. That's a really good thing. I'll get a job that way. You see, the problem is that would have been a job, not a calling. That's not how you get into service with God. You pray for God to bring you opportunities. And guess what? I didn't get any positive responses. In fact, I got one response that wasn't very nice. <laughs> so <laughs> I stopped that. <laughs> it's like, don't do that. It hurts. But Romans 8.28 says, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And that's what kept going through my head. 
I knew that all things were going to work together for good. And maybe I just needed to be humbled a little bit. You can't tell that I got any issues in that area, can you? (laughs) So, what happened? Well, my wife went up north for a little while because we've got elderly relatives living in the north. And then I visited up north. And a whole series of little chain of events happened where God opened our eyes to the fact that it's really dark up there. And I don't mean because they have less sunlight than we do. I mean it's spiritually very dark. Incredibly. My wife had a little five-year-old grandnephew, I guess, her niece's son, whatever that makes him, come up to her and she said, or he said two things. Tell me about God and teach me to pray. Can you imagine? That very same trip, my wife got an opportunity to share her testimony with her niece. Her niece asked her outright for it. It doesn't happen, especially in a family usually, where people actually seek your witness. And there were a whole series of other events that led us to the point where we understood that there's a, there's a real need there. So we came back empowered with that, and I decided, Lord, I'm going to try contacting Nam again, because that's the only way that I know to get up there to be in an organized ministry. So I did. I went online and I filled out one of those forms, you know. It says, uh, if you're interested in being a missionary, put your name here. I did. You know, and then it says, well, what are your qualifications? And I filled in the little box and I sent it in. And I thought, well, Lord, I just pray that you do something with that. But honestly, my confidence level is down here. I don't think anything's going to happen. I'll tell you what, I didn't know Nam could move that fast. The next day, I had an email right back from one of the guys who was in charge of actually evangelizing Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Now, if that wasn't orchestrated by God, I don't don't know what was. I I could have gotten a guy from St. Louis or something, you know? But I didn't. The guy that contacted me was in charge of Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and Pennsylvania was where we wanted to head to do the ministry because that's where we had seen the need. So, after we made contact with him, he organized a trip. And the last time that we had a conference, a harvest conference here, I stood up and talked about the trip. But I didn't say very much more because we didn't know much more at that point. But we went up and we met with a whole series of missionaries. We met with a missionary that was uh, from Hershey. And we met with him in Lancaster, by the way, because they were trying to talk us into going to Lancaster to uh, be missionaries there. And interestingly enough, as his story unfolded, he started talking about how they had been there 10 years and their church had grown and they had just been given a $3 million building. Imagine that from a church that was defunct down the street. And they were growing like gangbusters. And when we asked him about advice, he said, my advice to you is make your calling sure. Pray and get the Lord to tell you exactly what it is that he'll have you to do. And I thought, yes, that's good advice. And then we met with the second guy. And guess what advice he gave us? Exactly the same thing. And we met with the third missionary. And the third missionary, we saw something we didn't see with the other two. When we looked at this man, we saw a man that was in need of support. He was crying out in his soul for support. We could see it in his face. And it wasn't because Nam wasn't there, because Nam was there. But he needed somebody that he could talk to on a regular basis, somebody that would actually be there with him in his ministry. And I said, Lord, this is not where I want to be. This is not the guy that I want to be with. We want to go be in Hershey because that's growing and that's exciting. This other guy, he's working in a little factory in this town called Lewistown up in Pennsylvania. And that's about the only industry they got there. It's pretty depressed. It's pretty sad. 
I really don't want to be up in that area. But Lord, we're listening to you wherever you'd have us. So what happened? We came back and we prayed more. And we prayed more. And we prayed some more. And you know what I learned from all that praying? I need more patience. That was the main thing that I learned. And then I was, I was praying. Something very interesting happened. Do you know the story of Gideon and the fleece, the account in the Old Testament? Let me read this to you. It's in Judges 6.36. It says, Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and the, dry is, the ground is dry all around, then I shall know that you saved, will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And it was so. When he rose the next morning, he squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. You see, Gideon needed something. And so he said, Lord, if I'm going to be a judge in Israel and you're going to send, save Israel by my hand, I'm going to lay a fleece of wool out on the threshing floor. And in the morning, if that puppy's wet and the ground is all dry, I know that you're telling me what you're telling me. And, you know, normally I wouldn't suggest testing the Lord. But this came into my mind, and I said, Lord, I'm going to go look up a job in the target area, and I'm going to send out exactly one resume, one. And, Lord, if it's your will, just have somebody respond to it. I'm not asking for a job. I'm just asking for a response, anything. Have them email me back. Have them call me. Something. Well, this was after work on Friday, so it was getting late in the day on Friday. I sent it all off. I said, gone. We'll see what happens. Monday morning, I get out of seminary. My wife drops me off at the office. My cell phone rings. It's the hiring manager from the company on the edge of State College, which is right close to there, the place that I applied. He said he wanted to talk to me for five to ten minutes. Forty-five minutes later, he hung up the phone. He said, I want to interview you in person. Within an hour, I had flights, I had hotels, I had a rental car. Everything was set up. Now, can you imagine this? Within an hour, everything was done for me to fly out. I flew up, and I met with him. I actually met with him. I met with some engineers. I met with his boss. He takes me out to lunch. I want to show you how God works, because this is so amazing. And this whole time, I'm being very open about who I am as a person and who my God is. And we go to lunch. And he changes the subject, and he starts talking about all different things. And he says to me, he says, I had a friend that was having a heart attack recently. I said, really? He says, yeah, I offered to take him to the hospital, but he wouldn't go because he has had a series of small heart attacks. And so he said, I asked my friend, he said, aren't you afraid to die? And his friend said, no, I'm not afraid to die. I've been a really good guy, and I've done a lot of good things for the church. I know I'm getting into heaven. So I turned to my boss-to-be, and I said, so what do you think of that? He says, I'm the same way. He said, I've lived a really good life. I know God will let me into heaven. If that wasn't a confirmation that they need to hear the pure word, I don't know what is. I mean, God just slapped me right up the side of the face, and he said, look, I've called your bluff, right? You sent out a resume on Friday. You got a response on Monday. I set you up with a trip, and then I showed you again how bad the need is in this area. People are not hearing the word. Guys, I'm not talking about going to Africa. I'm not talking about going to Asia. I'm talking about going a few hundred miles north. This is our country, and there's people that don't hear the word of God. 
So what happened? Well, what happened was we didn't hear anything from a little while, for a little while. I called him up and I said, "What are you guys doing?" He said, "We're going to give you an offer letter, but I'm trying to make it respectable. I don't want to be embarrassed by the offer." And I thought, "Oh man, here we go. I'm going to be spending my evenings working at Walmart, you know, to support myself." Now, God provides. God has provided for us in an amazing way. This company not only is going to give me a better salary than I've got right now, they're going to move us. They're paying for all the major moving expenses. This is our God. You see, if he wants you somewhere, if he wants you to do something, he will provide for your mission. And he's providing for us. So, now, what to do, right? We just had the uh, uh, Christmas musical. I was standing right about there, right next to Dick. And I was looking around, and I had a moment of panic. Because I'm saying, Lord, look at all these people. I've known some of these people 20 years. Our support network is here. Our house is here. Our family is here. What are we going to do? There's a real simple answer. James 4.17 says, For whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I cannot deny that God has not given us a clear calling. I cannot deny that God has made every provision for us. Every provision. I said, Lord, you know what? I can't go because I run a company. And this company's going to fail if I'm not there. For the first time in nine years, our company has booked all of its business for next year. Everybody's taken care of. I don't even have to be there. Can you imagine that? It's never happened before. It's amazing. Every place I looked, every excuse that I made, God covered it. As I look ahead, I think about what God's doing. And it just amazes me. But you know, there's one other thing I've got to tell you about, about this before I move on. God talked to my wife in different ways than he talks to me. Do you know that? I admit, I'm on this side. I'm a little pig-headed. I'm stubborn. I don't listen real well sometimes. I don't hear real good sometimes. That's a good excuse not to listen real well sometimes. And so God is real direct with me. Here, you send a resume, I'll take care of it. Any objection you put up, I'll knock it down. And it's done. Over here's my wife. She's compassionate. She listens to that still small voice of God. She hears the children. She sees what's going on around her. Very different than me. And when she was coming back from one of the trips in Pennsylvania, she came in the house after a, I don't know what it was, about a nine-hour drive, eight, nine-hour drive back. And one of the first things that she told me was she said, God has been giving me a verse that I've been thinking about over and over and over again. And it was Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for well-being and not for calamity, in order to give you a future and a hope. You see, that's what was going through her head. She was asking the Lord why it was she had to be in that car coming back south when she wanted to be up there with this little children that needed to hear her message and the old people that quite honestly are in their 80s and 90s and in ill health and she wants to spend time with them. And she's in a car driving south. And God's telling her, I got plans for you. Don't worry about it. Well, the day that my offer letter came... I was at the seminary, actually just finishing one of my final exams. And my wife 
had dropped me off, and she was out doing one of the things that she enjoys. She was going through the thrift stores looking at stuff. She picks up a cup. Guess what's on the cup? That very same verse. The day I got the offer letter, guys. She bought the cup, by the way. (laughs) Well, I saw the cup. (laughs) But you see that the Lord has plans for us. Every single one of us. All we need to do is listen to him and do his will and make ourselves available. All of this seemed impossible to me. Because some of you guys know me. I'm a regular guy. I mean a regular guy. I'm more like Tim the Tool Man, you know, than uh, uh, Pastor Jared in a lot of respects. Uh, for me, you know, this is all impossible. It just is. I don't see myself as a missionary. I don't see myself as a pastor. I don't see myself as an evangelist. And heaven forbid, the thing that the head of the mission group for Pennsylvania asked me, he said, are you an apostle? I really don't see myself as an apostle. And yet, I know that all things are possible with God who strengthens me. I know that. So here it is. Our God is ascending God. He sent us. We know what we're doing. We're going up. And we're going to start a church. And you know, guys, one thing that I want to tell you is Scripture is very clear. People don't start churches. You know that? I can say we're going up and start a church, but we're not. Churches start churches under the direction and power of God. It's this body praying for us that will enable us to be successful. Without the support of this body, we're not going to succeed. Because people do not start churches on their own. Well, they do. But then you end up with uh, some very unique groups that are out there. I don't need to name names, but you know the kind of things that come out of that. So our God is ascending God. And now I want to do the part that excites me the most. I want to shift gears a little bit here because I want to go back and look at that, those verses in Psalms. But I'd like to give you just a little bit of background. In Exodus 19.6, God is talking to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says to them. He says... And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Did you know that that was a charter of the Israelites? They were to be a kingdom of priests. Priests. What does that mean? You've got a whole kingdom of priests. Who are they priests for? What is their mission as we would understand it? You see, Israelite was to stand as a beacon for the world, a witness to who God is. People were to come to God because they would see Israel. And they would understand that God is the true God and that he's holy. And they would gain an understanding of exactly who he is. So that was their mission. So as we open Psalm 67, I want you to think a little bit about the fact that these people have been empowered with a mission. Before I actually start reading from the psalm, though, I'll give you a little bit of information on the psalm. Well, the first thing I did, being just the kind of person I am, I went and I looked up the word psalm to see what it means. Did you ever think about that? What is a psalm? So I went to my Hebrew-English dictionary, I looked up psalm, and it says... A striking or twitching of the fingers. That's a really good definition for Psalms, isn't it? Well, you see, you've got to extrapolate a little bit. That would be on strings. So this is a sacred song. So anyway, I thought you would enjoy that. 
Psalm 67 is anonymous. Psalm 65 to 68 are a block of songs, psalms, all emphasizing the providence of God. God pours out his love for the nations in this psalm. And you're going to see that it's plural. It's nations, not just Israel. So when this psalmist, who is anonymous, was writing this psalm, he had a very good understanding that Israel was to be a beacon, but everyone was to come to God. Psalm looks, this psalm looks forward to the blessings of God. It speaks of the sovereignty of God, and it speaks of a time when all men will worship and praise God. All in seven little verses. Philippians 2.10 says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You know that one day is coming that when everyone, everyone will bow their knee to God. And this doesn't matter whether you believe in God. It doesn't matter what you think about God. Everyone is going to bow. And this psalm is looking forward to that time. Things to watch for in this psalm. First off, the missionary theme, because that's what I'm talking about. Look for Jews and Gentiles coming together. Look for the nations. You're going to see the, the term the nations three times in there. You're going to see the term the earth four times. Of course, when it's talking about the earth, it's talking about all the people, right? And you're going to see the peoples five times. Again, this is only seven verses. In seven verses, there's three stanzas and there's two refrains. There's no refrain at the end. So that's why there's three stanzas and two refrains. So as we open it and look at it, I've actually named the, the three stanzas, by the way. And that's what's outlined in your bulletin. God's salvation is the first. God's righteousness is the second. And God's blessings are the third. So let's open and start to look at this. Psalm 67. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. As I read that and I start, start thinking about that, you know, salvation has to be proclaimed. John 4.14 says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. You see, Jesus is key to salvation. And the Bible, as you read through it, was progressively proclaimed or revealed, if you will. Do you know that? When you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament people didn't have a clear view of what was going to happen in the eschaton, in the last days, because all the New Testament wasn't written yet. So they understood who God was, but they didn't understand Jesus and everything that he would do. But we know, so when we look back at this psalm, we should take what we already know about Christ and apply it to the Old Testament. Use all that God has given you to understand it. So it starts again. God, be merciful to us and bless us. Merciful, that's a great word. But you know, as I picked up two or three different Bible translations, some of them said merciful, some of them said gracious. And I'm saying, wait a minute, what's the deal here? What's the word? So I started looking. And I found the Hebrew word. And what I discovered was that the semantic range of the word, meaning all the things that it could be, actually covered both words. There's not a good matchup, a single word matchup for that Hebrew word to either merciful or gracious. So that's why it's different in different Bible translations to the English. So I started looking at it, and it says, God, be merciful to us. Be merciful to us. Mercy, in case you don't remember, is giving us what we don't deserve. That's the best translation I think for it. 
giving us what we don't deserve. You realize as sinners we deserve hellfire and damnation. You realize that. As sinners, we deserve to be eternally separated from the most holy God. That's what we deserve. But God, in his mercy, has chosen to send his son for us. So what about grace? I would argue that grace is also a great translation here, right? Grace makes a really nice acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. You see, Christ was willing to make that sacrifice for us. This is all our benefit. It's his expense. If we declare Christ to be our Lord and Savior... Accept him. What he's done for us will count. What do I mean by that? I mean, we need to accept Christ to go into heaven. Because, again, what we deserve is not to be in eternal paradise with God. So be merciful to us. The next word that's there is blessings, right? It says, be merciful to us and bless us. Blessings is another really interesting word. Barak in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, it occurs 330 times in the Old Testament and three times in this alone. Fascinating word. You see, the Israelites believed that if they walked in step with God, God would bless them, that he would give them stuff. Read the book of Job one time. Job, what is it that you've done wrong that you've fallen from grace and all these bad things have happened to you? Clearly, if you were a good man, that wouldn't have happened. You see, that was how their mindset was. So blessings came about by being good, if you will. It was sort of a works kind of view. But I would like to really define blessings this morning as an abundant show of God's favor and goodness to us. You see, it doesn't matter how good we think we are or how good we think we're acting. If we've sinned, we've already separated ourselves from God. So anything that comes to us by way of blessing is because of God's mercy. It's because of his grace. So again, it's not what we deserve It's what Christ has done for us. You didn't know Christ was in the Old Testament like this, did you? He is. He is. As I look at the word blessing, there's several places in the the Bible that when the Israelites would look at this psalm that they would think about. One of them is they would look at Genesis 1.22. It says, And God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. This was the view of Adam and Eve, right? And Adam and Eve were told, God blessed them, be fruitful, have children, populate this earth. Well, what happened? That went along for a while, and then things got very wicked, and God decided to destroy the earth. So Noah comes onto the scene. Here's another big blessing, Genesis 9.1. God blessed Noah and his sons. And what was the purpose of that? Repopulate the earth. So as you go down through Scripture, you're going to see various places of these blessings. And the one that I would like to focus on, because it's the one that the Israelites would most connect with, is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord told Abram, You are to leave your land, your relatives, your father's house, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. I will make a great nation of your descendants. I will bless you, there it is, and I will make your reputation great so that you will be a blessing. This was a command, by the way. I will bless those who bless you, but I'll curse those who curse you, and through you all the people of the earth will be blessed. You see, the Israelite nation 
held on to this Abrahamic covenant. They knew what it meant. They knew that as descendants of Abraham that they would be blessed. But they didn't understand the whole picture. Because the very end of that says, And through you all the people of the earth shall be blessed. This is looking forward to Christ. Because Christ is a direct descendant of Abraham. So again, we see this thread of redemption, if you will, coming through this song. What was the third subjective clause? He says, I'll be merciful, I'll bless, and I'll cause his face to shine upon us. How many times today do you hear somebody say that? I want to have your face shine upon me. Mm. You'd be probably ready to pack me up and send me off somewhere. You might be anyway at this point. but um, Cause your face to shine. As I look at that, the first thing that popped into my mind was the blessing of Aaron, the Aaronic blessing, if you will. What's the Aaronic blessing? Well, God gave Moses a blessing to give to Aaron as high priest to pronounce upon the people. It's called the Aaronic blessing. So, well, let's just read it. It's in number 6, 24 to 26. And it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. That had some very specific meaning. Let me relate this to you in just a slightly different way because it will all come clear in just a moment here. Proverbs 16.15, we're going to go back to Proverbs again, says, In the light of a king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. Nothing is better than when the king smiles on you, when his countenance is positive upon you. But you really don't want to go before the king and have him upset and frowning. So they're really praying that the Lord will smile on you, if you will. He'll lift up his countenance. The other image that immediately comes to mind as well is just the Shekinah glory of God. Now this is a great term. It sounds real technical, but all it really means is... It means he caused to dwell in the Hebrew, but it's actually talking about the brilliance and the glory of God's holiness. Now, this is a glorious picture to me because the Shekinah glory of God is what lights heaven. Do you know that? That's an amazing picture all by itself. If you think about Moses going up on the mountain to meet with God, he came down off the mountain, and what happened? He had to put a veil over his head. Why? He glowed with the glory of God. He had been in the presence of God, and he was scaring the people because he glowed. This is a Shekinah glory of God. I have this theory, this is a rabbit trail, that that's part of the reason why some of the angels... When they appear to people, the first thing they always say is, don't be afraid. I got this feeling if they just came from the presence of God like Moses, maybe they're glowing. That would kind of be scary, wouldn't it? I'd give you a reason to say don't be afraid. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. Let's get back to what's really going on here. So, 67.2 that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. We're to instruct others about God. That's what this is saying. God's blessings poured out on the earth will make his ways known. We're blessed. We're blessed more than you have any idea. If you go to someplace close, Mexico, in a world scale, there's places there where there's people who have no food, nothing. It happens in this country, but it's a little more difficult to see. For some reason, I think we're a little myopic. But if you go over 
on other parts of the world, when you start looking at portions of Asia, South America, man, it's awful some places. If you've got a place to sleep here and you've got food, you're in the top few percent of the world for richness. Do you know that? We are so blessed. That's God pouring his blessings out on us. So, that your way may be known. I read that over and over again, and eventually I landed on John 14, 6, which says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you see, we need to make the way known, the way of God known to other places. Well, who's the way? Jesus says, I am the way. We're to go and proclaim Jesus. Now, they wouldn't have seen that in the first, in, you know, way back then. But we know that today. It's clear. So we need to know, we need to make his name known. Seeing God bless us will draw others to salvation. But more than that, when we're blessed, if we use those resources, we can help bring others to salvation. If we take this blessing that we have and we send missionaries or we buy Bibles or we spend the time that we're given because of our leisure that other countries, the people don't have, to tell people about Christ, people will be blessed. So we're to instruct others about God. And then we get down to verse 3. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. See, not just the Israelites. Let all the people of the world praise you. Every single one. We're going to see this refrain again in verse 5. Exactly the same, so you can kind of see how this is broken up. Let's move on. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. So reading that again, oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. There's two things that we're supposed to do. Be glad and sing for joy. I don't see any indication there of being a cloudy day Christian. There is nothing sadder than a Christian who has the truth, who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and they walk around with their head down looking like somebody just shot their dog. We need to be positive about what we've been given. We need to go out and tell people and be excited about having the greatest gift in the, in the world. No cloudy day Christians. So that's the two things, if you will. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Why are we supposed to be glad and sing for joy? It says, for you shall judge the people righteously. How many of you in here are looking forward to judgment? Put your hand up. Yeah. (laughs) Judgment, that's such a good thing, huh? Be joyous, be glad, because we're going to be judged. Is that what this is saying? Well, sort of, but not quite. You see, what we need to do is we need to look hard at this and see what it's really encompassing. It's really saying that God is just. God is righteous. God sets a perfect standard. That's important especially for a group of people that live in a day when things aren't going so well with government. I mean, kind of like today, right? Imagine if we were in a theocracy and Christ was ruling with his rod of iron today. This would be a very different world, wouldn't it? So one of the reasons is is God is holy, he is just, he's righteous. And you shall govern the nations on earth. That's an allusion to the 23rd Psalm, by the way. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? You see, God is going to not only judge righteously, but he will shepherd us. This is who our God is. God judges without partiality. In Acts 10, 34 to 35, Peter is talking about the Gentiles when they were converted. And he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You see, it doesn't matter who we are. We need to tell everybody about Jesus because everybody bears that mark of God. We're all equal in his eyes. We all deserve to hear who Jesus is and how we obtain salvation. God will deal righteously. You realize that in the end, there's not going to be any let's make a deal. We stand before God. There's going to be kind of like two lines. And I'm, I'm illustrating a little bit. This isn't exactly how Scripture describes it because there's a lot more detail in, in Scripture. But Scripture says that there's going to be a sheep and goat judgment. Sheep are going to be on one side and the goats on the other because God is separating them. And the sheep are those who are going to stand before the Lord and their sins are going to be forgiven before God and their sins have been removed from them as far as the east is from the west and they will be no, remembered no more. And they will stand before God and they will receive their rewards and to be ushered into heaven. The goats, on the other hand, don't have Christ. Their sins have not been forgiven. They are remembered. They will be revealed, and they will stand judgment. They're not going to be ushered into paradise. They're going to be ushered into a place of eternal torment. Now, if that doesn't get your attention on wanting to evangelize people, you're dead. Because if we don't tell people about Jesus, that's what's going to happen. Psalm 67, 5. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. He's a God of joy. This is the second time for this refrain. And I was sitting and praying about this whole thing. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 came to mind. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne, and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with a palm branch in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to the Lord our God who sits on the throne and on the Lamb. You see, this is a picture of the final days. And God is on the throne. And the people from every nation are before him. And they're clothed in white. What does that mean? That means that they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And they've been made pure. And they're worshiping God. This is the picture that's not wishful thinking, but it's going to happen. But we need to tell people about who God is. Verse 6, then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and the ends of the earth shall fear him. God blesses his people both Individually, specifically, if you will, and collectively. Do you realize that? Sometimes we get collective blessings. But sometimes we get very specific blessings. But one thing that we should remain aware of is that God blesses us for a purpose. Blessings are not an end into themselves. Lord, give me an extra filling of the Holy Spirit. Give me bravery. Give me courage. Why? So I can go watch TV? No, so I can go tell somebody else about you. That should be our cry. So, let the earth yield her increase. Let the earth yield her increase. 
Give us more, Lord. Give us more for a reason. I like the word imagery here. God, our God, shall bless us. You see, this is very specific. The psalmist couldn't use the specific name of God. If he used the specific name of God in the Old Testament, that was a blasphemy. I really think a lot of Americans, by the way, blaspheme God the way they speak. But the point is, back then, that could get you killed. They took it serious. So he's being very specific when he talks about God. And he's saying, God, our God, the God that we know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's who I'm talking about. He shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. All the ends of the earth. Why is it that God blessing us leads to all the ends of the earth fearing him? Seems different, right? No, bless us so people know who you are. Bless us so that we have the resources that we need to tell people about you. You see, that's what we need to be about. These blessings need to flow out. We need to open our hands, not only to receive blessings, but to give them. Not hold on to them. Anytime that we believe that we've been blessed for ourselves... We need to start looking real hard at what Scripture says. You see, we're just here for a little while. We already read that. We're going to be gone. None of this goes with us. Here's some things to consider. How do I do my part in God's plan? Today, if I ask you individually... How are you going to do your part to tell others? How can I help see that God is known, praised, enjoyed, and feared among the nations? That's our goal, right? How do I pray? Here's a clue, by the way. If you can't do anything else, you can pray. How do I give? Why should I not go do his work? When I started back at the seminary earlier this year, one question that kept being asked, which was kind of interesting, was not, why should I go? But it was, why should I stay? The president of the seminary stood up, and in his very first address, he said that. He said, I want you to change your thinking. Why should I stay? What is holding me here from doing his work? And I don't mean that everybody in here has to sell everything they have and move up north. But what I do mean is, why can't I share with others what God has given me? Why do I keep my mouth closed when there's opportunities to witness? Why aren't I proud of my God and Lord? Ouch. When we started this, I started talking about how all the Israelites were called to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And you know what? We are too. You realize that? Part of our calling as Christians, we are called to be a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. That's who we are. We are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. By the way, that holy nation is where that word saint comes from. The same word holy is the word that gets used for saint. So we are saints. Because we're called out. That is a direct quote from Exodus 19.6, by the way. Revelation 1.6 says, He has made us to be a kingdom of priests and to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We are a kingdom of priests. 
If you know Jesus, you are being blessed. God is empowering you. He's sending you to the nations. Many of us, he's sending them right here. But we need to be willing to go out and talk and tell people about Christ. Tell them about salvation through Christ. What are you doing to serve the Lord today? That's the question that you should ask yourself every day. And by the way, at the end of the day, when you say your prayers before God and you confess your sin, you should say, Lord, this is what I've done for you today. Think about that for a minute. This is all the opportunities I had. This is where I haven't been faithful. That'll be something else to confess. Sorry, guys. But if you don't know Jesus, step one of this whole process is to get to know him. You see, he's blessing those of us who know him. We've got the most precious gift, and we want those of you who don't know him to find out who he is. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on him. He will save you. Let's close with a word of prayer.